It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. You also can follow our brand spanking new website at northstarsports.media. And welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, we got a good one for you today here on this Thursday, June 4th. A happy Michael Bisping Day to everybody. Uh, it was four years ago today that he knocked out Luke Rockhold at UFC 199. A great moment in the, sports of, uh, in the sport of mixed martial arts. And uh, certainly a day we like to celebrate around uh, North Star uh, HQ here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the great North Star State. And uh, it's good to be back with you guys. We're getting back into the swing of things here. This is our third uh, day in a row where we have a show. Uh, of course, we did the preview, or excuse me, the, the recap show uh, for that uh, UFC fight night. And we did the preview yesterday for UFC 250, so you can go check that out. Uh, and today, like I've been teasing, we got a, we got a, a great one for you. We have... Uh, the, the topic today of the greatest of all time MMA Mount Rushmore. So we'll be going over the all-time GOATs in the sport of mixed martial arts because, quite frankly, I'm sick and tired of, of watching all these lists come out and people getting them incorrect. So I feel like uh, us us here at North Star Sports, you know, we need to set the, the, the record straight here. We need to tell you who definitively, without a shadow of a doubt, are the four greatest MMA fighters of all time uh also if you've been following our twitter if you're, if you're just finding out the uh the breaking news that we were teasing uh last night broke at noon today uh on twitter which is why you need to follow me and north star sports on twitter uh and the big announcement was uh north star sports has announced their pioneer era nominees for the inaugural north star sports hall of fame class of 2020 uh, there were six inductees who are looking to uh, become forever enshrined in the North Star HQ here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and we'll, we'll get some housekeeping off the bat here before we get into the topic today. But I figured, uh, you know, I should lay out the case very briefly for, for all six of these inductees and maybe talk about, uh, you know, why the committee might not vote them in, you know, because... Listen, even for, even for Hall of Fame guys, you know, there's always going to be some negatives, um, you know, and obviously we at North Star Sports want to keep our Hall of Fame uh, with as much integrity and as much greatness as possible because we, you know, this is this is a Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Very Good. So, you know, I, ex- I expect the, the board members to be very strict about who they let in to the inaugural uh, Hall of Fame here for North, St- North Star Sports. Uh, we have Owen Ely. Uh, entrepreneur, genius, great beard, by the way, too. The Elon Musk of sports radio. Uh, he was known as the mailman uh, during his time at WFW because this guy always delivers on the hot sports takes, and you know that's that's no doubt. Really, really hard to find a, a fault with this guy, so I can't really talk too much about the negatives there. But uh, surely, surely, I mean, you never know, you never know, because Ken Griffey Jr. was not unanimous, but uh, you know, surely. Owen Ely is going to be a unanimous Hall of Famer uh, in the North Star Sports Hall of Fame class of 2020. Uh, it was also announced that Francis 
Francis is one of the nomineers for the Pioneer Wing. Now, this guy is a WRFW legend. This guy was the first guy to ever call into the Sports Vibe. He's in the Sports Vibe Hall of Fame. So he's already a Hall of Famer in another uh, sports radio uh, show. So, you know, this this guy's pedigree is as good as it gets. A loyal listener. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't figure out the phone lines to get this guy on the air, but he did call. He did call. I have Reagan Hooverman to, to back me up, and we'll get to him uh, in a minute. But this guy's absolutely a legend. Uh, the only negative against this guy is he never actually, we never actually got him on air. He never actually called into the show, but he tried to. And, you know, listen, when you look back at the Hall of Fame in the early days, yeah, they might have let some guys in uh, who probably wouldn't make it if they were playing today. So, you know, this this is like the uh, the Walter Johnson of uh, potentially of the Hall of Fame. I mean, we got to figure out if this guy gets in or not, uh, which will uh, be announced on Saturday, June 6th at 7 p.m. on the North Star Sports Twitter page. Yet again, another great reason to follow North Star Sports. Uh, the third nominee here is Drew Peterson. Now, this guy's a railroad and fireplace guy. He, he's been working on the railroads. He's been working installing fireplaces. Uh, chances are, if you've installed a fireplace in the last nine months in the state of Minnesota, uh, or at least in the Twin Cities, you know, this guy's probably been in your house. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, a lovely guy who you'd let into your house. Big-time Lions fan, uh, you know, smart, smart, intelligent, sports-watching guy, uh, you know, really became good at radio during his time at WRFW. Um, so a lot of positives with this guy when, when you look at the standpoint uh, of what the committee's looking for. You know, he has the intangibles. However, one of the negatives that surely is going to be lobbed at Drew Peterson as he tries to get into the Hall of Fame, he's a big-time hater. This guy's a big-time hater, hates on pretty much everything. It's hard to find something this guy likes. So, you know, being a big-time hater, I mean, that's that's going to be tough. He, he should make it into the Hall of Fame. I don't know if it'll be unanimous, um, you know, because he, he, just, he just likes to hate on everything, but uh, a very strong candidate here. Uh, we also have Mikey from DeBronx, loyal listener, uh, never called in. That's going to be a knock against him. We never got him on the airwaves. Um, but he was always there in spirit uh, with his mustard-stained uh, New York Yankees jersey. Uh, he did blow us off a lot at WRFW. Got some crazy uh, crackpot sports theories. Really crazy crackpot theories in general. This guy believes in lizard people. Uh, and he, li- he lives under the George Washington Bridge uh, in New York City right off the Hudson River. So just an all-around character. But, uh, you know, he's got a heart of gold. So uh, we'll have to see if he gets in. If I had to guess, if I had to do the, uh, the you know, the, the, the bubble, he's probably on the outside of the bubble. You know, he's probably in the first four out, not the first four in. Um, but, you know, you never know. You never know. It's, a, it's a, the inaugural class. So somebody like Mikey from DeBronx uh, certainly could make it. Uh, another nominee here for the Pioneer era is the Minnesota Correctional Facility Oak Park Heights listeners. Now, allegedly... Allegedly, they were loyal listeners at WRFW because they are within the 30-mile radius of, uh, you know, the uh, the radio station that put on the greatest sports talk uh, radio show in the history of Western Wisconsin. Um, but I gotta say, guys, real outside chance they get in here. I can't, I can't believe they got nominated. I mean, 
nothing necessarily against people in jail, you know, if you got put in there wrongly or, you know, I'm against the drug war. So, you know, maybe if there's drug charges for people there and they didn't do anything to harm anybody else. But guys, I don't think, I don't know why they got nominated. I understand they're loyal. They were loyal listeners, allegedly. Um, but I, I looked at the, uh, the state of Minnesota website, guys, there's 297 people at, uh, at, uh, at Oak Park Heights who are serving an active sentence for homicide. Eight for kidnapping, 141 for assault. I mean, guys, you know, these are real character concerns. I don't think we can put these guys in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, not that there's any good crime, but, uh, you know, maybe if it was just theft or, or something. But I got to tell you guys, I'm really surprised they got put in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's like, that's like nominating Rondell White to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's a real outside chance that he gets in. So, uh, you know, I don't want to bury him before they're dead here, but I, I, I have a hard time believing that the, the board is going to let these guys in the Hall of Fame, especially in the inaugural class, uh, which leads us to the final, the final Pioneer-era nominee for the 2020 North Star Sports Hall of Fame, Reagan the Hound Dog Hooverman. Now, this guy's also a Sports Vibe Hall of Famer, some might call him the Dutch Earl Clark of sports radio. Uh, you know, he's a real OG. Uh, he's not as good as, as, as some, of the, some of the guys now. You know, he, he really shined back in the day. You know, he's got these insane sports takes. Uh, sometimes he's on something. Sometimes he's on to something. But again, just a heart of gold, funny guy, hardworking guy. You know, but a real, a real Chuck Bednarik. You know, just, just a real 1930s. Five foot nine, hundred and sixty pound offensive lineman that makes it into the Hall of Fame. That you know would be a slot receiver in today's NFL. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the committee looks at this guy and looks at his contribution back in a time in in 2018, 2019. You know, back when sports radio was still developing in in the early days. Uh, you know, before before North Star Sports. But you know, you got to believe this guy's a classic. Maybe maybe he gets in, but. I got to tell you, I don't know if it's going to be unanimous, but that's our six nominees for the inaugural North Star Sports Hall of Fame Class of 2020, which again will be announced uh, on Saturday, June 6th at 7 p.m. on Twitter at NorthStarMIN. So be sure to tune into that. And now with that housekeeping out of the way, uh, we can get here to the uh, greatest of all time, MMA Mount Rushmore. And... Again, I feel pretty solid about the list here. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, certainly my top two. I feel rock solid about my top two. Of course, we'll go from four to one, um, and then we'll go through some, some honorable mentions here. But I, I feel really good, really good about the first two. Um, three and four, it's tough, man, because listen, we're talking about you know who belongs on the Mount Rushmore, so it, it's tough. I will say, I will say, I like to judge fighters more on what they do in their prime and not necessarily when they not necessarily focus on their decline. So this guy's not on the Mount Rushmore, spoiler alert, and he's not even in my honorable mentions, but I, I figure I'd use him as an example. But somebody like a BJ Penn. So BJ Penn, I think, is on like an eight fight losing streak, something ridiculous. He hasn't won since like 2011. When I'm talking about BJ Penn and his greatness, I, I tend to overlook it's I mean, that's a really extreme example, so it's really hard to overlook his eight fight losing streak. 
but I, I tend to focus on what people do in their prime, you know, so I, I that has to factor in a little bit, but, you know, listen, a two, two weight, uh, uh, you know, champ and, and all of that, and, and look at the guys he beat in his prime, you know, I mean, it, it's the same with a lot of sports, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't feel like that's, that's not a fair thing to do. You look at somebody like a Mike Bossy who probably, you know, if he, if he played a full NHL career, probably would have smashed the all-time goals record, but, you know, he had a bad back, he retired at 30. We, we don't not, we don't really knock him for retiring at 30. You just kind of look at what he did in his prime, and in his prime, he was, you know, one of the best hockey players to ever play, certainly when it comes to putting the puck in the back of the net. So, I, I, I feel with a couple of these guys on the list, actually, really just one, I, I feel like I should mention that because I, I, I don't really... I don't really knock him too much for how his career has uh, has ended. But without further ado, we'll get to number four here. The number four greatest mixed martial artist of all time has to be, and I struggled with this one, and it, full disclosure, this could change by the end of, of 2020. But as of right now, number four for me is Daniel D.C. Cormier. You look at this guy, 22-2, and two, won no contest. He's 41 years old. Now, again, his spot on this Mount Rushmore, in some sense, is contingent on him beating Stipe Miocic in the trilogy. Because if Stipe wins, uh, then, then I probably have to put Stipe at number four. If Cormier wins, then he solidifies the spot at number four. And if they never fight, then Cormier just by default stays at, at, at number four. But this guy's a champ champ. He was the UFC light heavyweight champion. He was the UFC heavyweight champion. He defended both belts, which is big. He was the first guy to ever do that. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of fighters uh, say, you know, winning a belt's easy, but defending it, yeah, that's really hard. You look at GSP, he got burned out during his title defenses. You look at Anderson, he got burned out during his title defenses. You know, had some stinkers and you know, clowned around and ultimately, you know, had his uh, uh, title streak come to an end. So, you know, you look at, and this is no knock on somebody like a Conor McGregor, but okay, Conor's, you know, he was the champ champ. Yeah, but he never defended. You know what I mean? Like, good for him. You can't take away him winning two belts. Uh, but, you know, defending him, I mean, that takes it to a whole nother level. Um, he also was the Strike Force heavyweight champion. And he was only five foot eleven. I guess he still only only is five foot eleven. He didn't get any shorter or any taller. Um, but you know he's fighting up at heavyweight, fighting at light heavyweight. That's still really short for light heavyweight. That's that's like an average height for a welterweight. Um, you know, big guy, a lot of power, uh, significant wins. You know, over Derek Lewis, a mainstay in the heavyweight division, fan favorite. Obviously, the win over Stipe Miocic, who uh, is is a well, I guess at the time when he beat him, he was a one-time heavyweight champion. Now he's a two-time heavyweight champion. Uh, three title defenses. So it uh, doesn't seem like a lot, but at heavyweight, that's a UFC record. Uh, a win over uh, Volkan Uzdemir, which, again, in, high, in hindsight, doesn't look super impressive. But you got to remember, Uzdemir, you know, he had he had those two really quick knockouts. A lot of people, a lot of people were picking Uzdemir to beat Cormier. You know, he had that quick knockout over Manoa and... I want to say it was OSP, uh, but but I could be wrong on that. But you know, I I think he he needs more credit for uh, the the Uzdemir win. You know, defended the belt. Actually, I guess won the belt and then defended it 
uh, against Rumble Johnson. You know, arguably outside of Francis Ngannou, the the hardest hitting fighter to, to ever live. I mean, uh, a few weeks ago, I was going back and looking at Rumble's highlight tape, especially from his time in the World Series of Fighting. Good God, he's just killing people, just killing people. And he rocked Cormier. He rocked him, and 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 uh, you know, a, a sniper shot. And, and flew him, you know, all the way across the cage and, you know, just managed to outgrapple him and, and win those fights. And you got to give him credit because, yeah, Rumble's kind of a one-trick pony, but, man, that's a, that's a pretty good trick. Uh, had that win over Anderson Silva at UFC 200 on short notice. Kind of a weird fight, but, you know, Anderson's one of the greatest of all time, and, you know, I, I think that counts for something. Uh, especially as, as we've seen, you know, Anderson's on that bit of a losing streak lately, but he's still fighting really tough guys, and he's still fighting really competitively. So, yeah, he's not winning as much as he was back in 2009, but Silva really didn't fall off too greatly. So that's still a solid win in my mind. Uh, the split decision win over Gustafson, which you know is one of the greatest fights of all time. Uh, a win over Dan Henderson. Uh, wins over uh, former UFC heavyweight champions Frank Mir and Josh Barnett in Strikeforce. Uh, you know, just an all-around role model, uh, overcoming adversity, you know, uh, being 15-0, and heading into that fight with John Jones, loses the fight, uh, and, uh, you know, wins the vacant belt, and, you know, for the longest time, people hated, people hated DC, calling him a paper champ and all that, and, you know, kind of living under the shadow of John Jones, and then, you know, I think as time went on, he, I don't want to say he became more of a heel because he, he's an all, one of the all-time good guys, but he just started not to care. You know, he would, he, he would, you know, you, you go back to some of those uh, pressers like UFC 183, I think was the first time him and Jones fought. And like, uh, you know, hey, pussy, are you still there? And, and you know, he just, he just kind of seemed kind of like a dork. You know what I mean? Like just a nice guy, kind of a dork. Why do you, why do you, why do you boo me? You know, you never ask the crowd, why do you, why are you booing me? Uh, you know, he's been sober for three months, for 90 days. I've been sober my entire life, you know, just trying to make the crowd like him. And sometime after that fight and before the UFC 200 fight, he just kind of embraced hating John Jones, uh, just being real, not trying to win over the crowd. And, you know, that's a funny thing because when you try to win over the crowd, you know, you normally can't do it. But if you just go out there and be yourself, if you're a, a likable person like DC is, I mean, he won over the crowd. And then, of course, he won the heavyweight belt and, you know, has something outside of the, the shadow of John Jones. But, you know, you look at his two losses, and yeah, you could say three. I mean, one was a no contest. I mean, he, he, he did get stopped at UFC 214 with that uh, head kick sequence. Um, but a loss to John Jones, who's one of the greatest of all time. I'm not going to say where he is on the list because, you know, spoiler alert, he's on the, the Mount Rushmore, but I'm not going to tell you where, but he's on it. So, you know, you lost to a, a fellow Mount Rushmore uh, teammate, I guess, and you lost to Miacic, who's, who's, you know, a top 10 fighter of all time. So, you know, your only two losses, you hate to judge somebody by their losses, but sometimes it's a good litmus test. Listen, this, this guy could be the greatest fighter of all time if John Jones didn't exist. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and obviously that's redundant, of course, but... Like, imagine if John Jones never got into fighting. Or imagine if DC, you know, had stayed at heavyweight and wasn't in the same division as John Jones. 
I mean, we might be saying Cormier is the greatest of all time. He might be 25-0 and 0 right now. You know what I mean? If he stayed at heavyweight, he might be. He might have eight title defenses at heavyweight. You have no idea. Um, he just happened to coincide at the exact same time as one of the greatest of all time, and he, he's not better than John Jones. It's just kind of simple as that, but that doesn't mean he's a bad fighter, obviously. But Daniel Cormier is the number four greatest fighter of all time, uh, which, which leads us here to the number three greatest fighter of all time, Anderson the Spider Silva. 34 wins, 10 losses, one no contest. And again, this is why I mentioned BJ Penn at the start of the show. Yeah, he, okay, so he's... Listen, guys, he's 45, so he's been he's probably fighting longer than he should. Uh, you know, since that Weidman loss, I guess including the Weidman loss, in his last eight fights... He has one win, six losses, and one no contest. Now, the no contest was a win over Nick Diaz, but it got overturned. So, okay, yeah, he's had a tough streak. I don't fault him for that. Just look at what he did in his prime. Yeah, you know, okay. But do any of these losses take away from how good Anderson was in his prime? And if we're talking about greatness, we're not necessarily... I mean, it's got to factor in, but we're not necessarily talking about the entire career. You know... If we were, then maybe he'd be number one. But, you know, he does have some legitimate losses. But but again, man, he's coming back off an of injury. I'm not trying to make excuses for the guy. But, you know, he's probably fighting a lot longer than he should. But, you know, a, rel- a relatively unknown guy in pride, or at least, you know, to American fans, kind of unknown, uh, comes over to the UFC and he takes the belt off of Rich Franklin and... Uh, and then he starts this 16-fight winning streak, the longest in UFC history. So, I mean, nobody was more... You know what, I'll say dominant. Not even better at winning, but, do- you know, he had some dominant finishes. So, nobody was more dominant than, than Anderson Silva in his prime, arguably. You know, 16-fight win streak. Wins over Chael Sonnen, who, in my mind... Because I don't go by the books. I go, I go by the streets. I go by the streets of Minneapolis. I go by what's real. He beat Chael Sonnen twice. Chael Sonnen is the WEC middleweight champion. I don't care what anybody says. Paul, he beat Paulo Filio. Paulo Filio missed weight. Chael Sonnen made weight for a championship fight. In my mind, Chael Sonnen is a WEC middleweight champion. You know, beat beat a UFC Hall of Famer, or for sure will be one, in Vitor Belfort, Damian Maya, uh, Forrest Griffin, Dan Henderson... Uh, obviously Franklin, but he beat him twice. Nate Marquardt, who was the Strikeforce middleweight champion, you know, in his prime, man, there was there was nobody better than Anderson Silva. Just lanky, tiny legs, you know, just could go to the to to the matrix. Had some crazy knockouts. I mean, what was it? The one over Forrest Griffin, where he knocked him out moving backwards. It didn't even look like that hard of a punch, but his speed and precision was was just so good. Not, not necessarily, a, you know, a, a super hard power puncher, but, you know, just on a completely different level for, for an extended period of time. Um, 17 UFC pay-per-view main events, you know, big star in the company, 10 title defenses. Uh, he has the longest title defense streak if you go by days, which I don't. He has the second longest UFC title defense if you go by title defenses. Uh, Mighty Mouse has 11, uh, but you know, just just all around really dominant. And listen, you know, everybody has some stinkers. You know, he he had some stinkers. 
you know, his fight with uh, Patrick Cote, not a very exciting one. His fight with uh, Talis Laites, not a very good one. Fight with Damian Maya, famously, that one in Abu Dhabi, famously, Dana White left early and handed the belt to his manager because he was so frustrated with Anderson's performance. You know, he always had the talent, and he, he often showed it, but um, he, he definitely had some stinkers uh, later in, in his title defense. Um, you know, and, and, and again, you know, you do got to factor in a little bit the, the, the recent, you know, down streak he's been on. But, I mean, even then, like, look at who he's lost to. All of them were, were pretty competitive. Uh, and, you know, he lost to Weidman the first time because he was dicking around. He lost the second time because his leg snapped. Uh, he lost a competitive fight. I'm not going to say close, but a competitive fight with Michael Bisping, who absolutely won that. I've been seeing some stuff on Twitter where people said Anderson won that fight with Bisping. Yeah, absolutely not. You got to go back and watch that again or, or lay off the crack rocks because I don't, I don't know what you're, what you're smoking, but... Uh, you know, and then the the weird fight with Cormier had the win over Brunson, and then a really good fight with Adesanya, and then the the injury to Cannonier. But even the injury to Cannonier, I mean, he's like number three in the middleweight division right now. So, um, you know, all of his losses have been quality losses, even though that's something you don't really want to hear. Uh, he's been racking them up, but I mean, there 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 was for a time nobody was like Anderson. So this will lead me to the number two greatest fighter of all time. George Rush St. Pierre, 26-2. He just recently got named to the UFC Hall of Fame. He's a two-division champion. He's a two-time welterweight champion, a one-time middleweight champion. That factors in greatly for me. Uh, listen, he, he didn't defend the middleweight belt, but you know, being great in two different divisions, Michael, Michael Bisping is, is a severely underrated uh, champion. And... That, that kind of gave him the nod for me over Anderson. There's, there's a couple of things that made me go GSP over Anderson. Uh, being the two-time champion, obviously you have the, the, the... There was never a terrible losing streak for, for, for GSP. And, you know, you, you could say... You could say Anderson Silva's streak was more dominant. You know, maybe he had, he had more finishes. Maybe his, his fights on the whole were more exciting. You know, GSP at times didn't always have the the most exciting style, uh, but you know, GSP could get it done in any fashion. Eight TKOs slash KOs, six submissions and twelve decisions. So this guy can win any way he chooses. He can grind it out. He can or he can finish the fight. You know, on the feet or, or on the ground. And the big thing for me, he avenged both of his losses to Matt Sarah and Matt Hughes. So he did have those two losses. But and, and 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 but but he avenged him. He avenged him. Now that doesn't mean the losses are scrubbed from his record. He still lost to those two fighters, but he overcame that hurdle. So if you are going to lose, the best thing that can happen is that you you avenge that hurdle. You finally get over that hurdle. So uh, for GSP, you know he won every single fight he was in, uh, except for two, and he he corrected those mistakes and, and got the last laugh. Um, and again, you know, to his credit, I mean, Sarah beating Hughes is the biggest upset in UFC history. So that tells you, you know, how good and how dominant GSP was, uh, wins over obviously Matt Hughes and Matt Sarah, Michael Bisping, Johnny Hendricks, which I know is controversial. Uh, if I'm being honest, I think Hendricks won that fight. Uh, but it's been a while since I've watched it. 
uh, Nick Diaz, Carlos Condit, Josh Kostek twice, BJ Penn twice, Sean Shirk, former lightweight champion. Uh, he had a 13-fight winning streak, he was, which was tied for the second longest in UFC history. And he had nine title defenses, which I think is third all-time, right behind uh, Demetrius Johnson's 11 and Anderson Silva's 10. So, you know, not always not always the, the, the most interesting fighter. And, you know, listen, a little controversial because I feel like for a, for a lot of people, for maybe 50% of the people out there, GSP should be number one. A lot of people say GS, GSP should be number one. And to that I say you're crazy, and I'll explain why. I'm, I'm not going to say you're necessarily wrong, but when I give you the reasoning for my number one fighter, there's you can't make the case for anybody else once I lay out the case for you. And it's a 10-second it's a case. Um, but, you know, GSP, major, major moments in, in the UFC, you know, when he packed up, uh, what was it, the, the Bell Center in, in uh, Montreal, 55,000, which was the record for, for UFC attendance. I want to say, I want to say until UFC 243 uh, at Marvel Stadium. So, obviously an icon in the sport. And before we get to the number one greatest mixed martial artist of all time, the, the, the crown of the uh, Mount Rushmore, we'll go through three honorable mentions. Uh, so, the, the, the number one yeah, actually, in no particular order. There's no particular order for these honorable mentions. Stipe Miocic has to be on there. 19-3, two-time UFC heavyweight champion. He's only 37, so he can still add to that legacy. He could get on the Mount Rushmore if he wins his trilogy with DC. Again, he has three title defenses at heavyweight. That's the most in UFC heavyweight history. Uh, he's got that weird loss to Stefan Struve and then a loss to JDS and Cormier. So two of his losses are champions. Wins over Gonzaga, Nelson, Arlovsky, Verdum, JDS, and Ganu, Cormier. You know, so look at that. I mean, you know, five former champs, five former UFC heavyweight champions, and potentially six if Nganu uh, becomes champ, which, you know, is, is, is surely looking like a good thing, uh, a surefire bet uh, these days. But, you know, you, you got to put him there. And again, that that makes, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but that makes DC's case even better for number four because you look at DC's only two losses uh, to to John Jones and then to Miocic, who very well could be number five, you know, just on the outside bubble. Uh, another honorable mention here is Khabib Nurmagomedov, 28-0. Uh, and 0. He's a one-time UFC lightweight champion. 12-0 uh, and 0 in the UFC. He's only 31. Now the thing with the thing with Khabib and why he's not on the Mount Rushmore and why he still has a little bit a little bit to go, um, he only has two title defenses. Took him a little bit with injuries and pulling out of fights. Took him a little bit to become UFC champion. Now you look at his resume; it, it's looking very good and getting getting better by the day uh, over his last couple of, of fights. You know, you look at wins over uh, Rafael dos Anjos. Uh, Edson Barbosa, Ala Quinta, Conor McGregor, uh, Dustin Poirier. But listen, you know, this is a guy who came into the UFC uh, 15-0, and 0, you know, and, and you know how, how Russians come over. I mean, they come over undefeated with a lot of wins against complete nobodies. And he's won very, very dominantly, arguably only ever lost one round to, um, to Conor. But 
he just doesn't have the legacy. The, the performances are there. The domination is there. But he just doesn't have the legacy quite yet. If he could get, if he could get two or three more high-profile uh, title defenses, like say he beats Gaethje, McGregor, and, oh, I, I don't know, maybe like a Charles Oliveira who has one of the highest finishing rates in the UFC, Okay, maybe we can we can consider putting him on this list, especially because he's never lost. But he's really only beaten. And again, I, he's a great fighter. I'm not trying to talk bad about him, but I'm just saying I'm judging. I am judging him not through the through the lens of, you know, average fighter or average champion. I'm grading him harshly because we're talking about being on the Mount Rushmore. So if I'm grading Khabib harshly, I say, well, you really have only had three wins over, you know, great quality opponents. RDA, McGregor, and Poirier. Every other fight, he might have beat some good fighters. Barbosa is a good fighter. Ayaquinta is a good fighter. Johnson and Horcher are tough fighters. But how many great fighters did Khabib beat? Really only three. Uh, which again, you know, I'm, I'm grading him harshly because we're talking about the greatest of all time here. But listen, He's undefeated. He's on the fast track. Uh, he's only 31. Now, the, the, the only problem with Khabib is we don't know how long he's going to fight. He's not really a guy who's motivated by money, uh, and he doesn't seem like he wants to be in the sport, you know, until he's 40. So that's going to be the, the tough thing for him because say he, say he only has four more fights and he wins them all, I mean, is that enough to put him on the Mount Rushmore? I mean, his record's going to look super impressive, but you really got to dive deep for... Not, or not even that deep. You really just have to look at tapology to, to, to see, you know, the, the quality of opponents has, has not always been there, especially early on in his career. But the domination has, has been the one consistent thing with him. Uh, and the final honorable mention is Fedor Emelianenko. 39 wins, 6 losses, 1 no contest. You know, a lot of people think he should be on the Mount Rush, Rushmore. I disagree. Um, I, I think we've seen such a rapid development with the sport of mixed martial arts that, I mean, there, there's, there's no sport that has grown this much in technique, in talent pool, in everything in the last 20 years. So I have a tough time putting super old fighters on this list because they didn't always face great opponents. And even if they faced guys who were great back in the day, well, you know, how would Fedor and, and maybe that's a maybe that's a, a poor example, but you know, there 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 were no there certainly were no Cain Velasquez's. There were no Daniel Cormier's back in two thousand four in, in Pride, you know what I mean? So that that's where I gotta dock Fedor. A, a well rounded fighter, fifteen knockouts, fifteen subs, nine decisions. Of course he was of course he was the Pride heavyweight champion. Many solid wins over Arlovsky, Sylvia, Hunt, Coleman, Krokop, Nogueira, Randleman. You know, he beat plenty of UFC champions. And, you know, a lot of people think, including me at the time, I mean, you know, the Pride heavyweight belt probably mattered more than the UFC heavyweight belt at that time. But the, the thing is, you look, at his, you look at his record and you go, wow, that's a really impressive record. Yeah, but it, it was Pride, man, you know, like... So off the bat, you have the allegations of fight fixing, but then he just had a lot of weird fights, like filler fights, like 
those 39 wins are not 39 quality wins. Not every single one of them is quality wins. Like, he fought Zulu Zulu Zinyu. Zulu Zinyo. He fought Hongman Choi. He fought Singh Jadeep. Like, he, he fought a lot of just random guys. Like, a lot of freak show fights, because that's what Pride was into back in the day. So, you know, he, he'd have a good fight. Like, he'd have a victory over Krokop, and then... You know, his next fight would be Zulo Zinho, you know, the 500-pound Brazilian. So it's like, I have a tough time taking your resume super seriously when we're talking about do you belong in the top four of all time in this sport. Now, he's a legendary heavyweight, and, and rightfully so. And, you know, he even he even still had some, uh, some, some pop in his step even in that Bellator tournament, uh, you, you know, wins over uh, Chael Sonnen, Quentin Rampage Jackson uh, in, in his final fight, um, you know, but just wasn't quite there, you know, got finished by Matt Mitrione. But, you know, props to him because, again, when you talk about dominance, I mean, this guy was undefeated for 10 years. He was undefeated for 10 years in a premier organization in the toughest division, the heavyweight division in every single Pretty much historically in every single organization is always the hardest. Even if there's more talent, even if it's deeper in other divisions, you can lose the fight with one punch. You got big boys swinging. So when you got big boys swinging, that's a tough division. So, you know, in in a sport, in a division with heavy, heavy muscled guys weighing 265 pounds, I mean, anything can happen on any given night. So you got to give him props for that. He had quite the impressive streak, even if it was filled with some nonsense. Now this leads us here to the greatest fighter of all time, and there is absolutely no debate. It is John Bones Jones. He is the greatest fighter of all time, and it's not even up for debate. And like I teased when I was talking about GSP, so Bones is 26-1-1. Or actually 26-1 and then one no contest. Now, in my mind, he's 28-0, okay? I don't count the, the, the bullshit loss to uh, Matt Hamill. I think that the stupid rule, he was beating him up. I count that as a win, and I count the win at UFC 214 over Daniel Cormier as a victory. So he's 28-0, he's never lost, and he's a two-time UFC light heavyweight champion. Again, he's only 32, he's building to that legacy, a little bit more of a bumpy road recently, but 10 TKOs, 6 submissions, 10 decisions, can get it done any way he wants. Uh, incredible. Nobody, nobody has had a tougher strength of opponent than John Jones. He beat Daniel Cormier, who's the number 4 greatest fighter of all time, twice. He beat uh, Gustafson twice. He beat Glover Teixeira in his prime uh, former champs Vitor Belfort, Rashad Evans, Leota Machido, uh, Quentin Jackson, Shogun Hua, you know, beat Bellator double champ Ryan Bader. 15 pay-per-view main events. He has a 13-fight uh, win streak tied for the second longest uh, in UFC history. He was the youngest ever UFC champion. I mean, this guy is on a complete, completely different plane. You know, six foot four, 84 inch. Uh, reach. I mean, really, none of us, none of his fights have been super close. I mean, there's only been a handful of fights that were super close. His last two fights versus Reyes and Santos, which I thought he won, uh, both of them, which he did. 
and the first Gustafson fight. All the other ones, I mean, this guy just runs through people. And again, hardest schedule of all time. There will never be a harder schedule. I always try to explain this. With with John Jones, he came in to the UFC and became light heavyweight champion at the perfect time. Because prior to him being champion, there was a lot of chaos in the light heavyweight division. Champions didn't really defend the belt. You know, there, there were so many different champions. Everybody was a former champ. You know, they went through like five or six different champions in like three years. Then John Jones comes in, beats Shogun, and then just starts lining up all of these former champions and starts beating them. Now imagine, imagine if when John Jones took on Shogun Hua, that Shogun was the champion for the last seven years. That would hurt John Jones' legacy. Because there wouldn't there would not be all these different former champs for him to beat because Shogun would have been the champion. There would have been no other champion. But he he came in in a very opportune time, uh, legacy-wise, in in the deepest division. I mean, the, the light heavyweight division during John Jones' initial title run, as, as good as any division in any organization ever, and, and really not even close. But again. I, I can't verify this, but I'd venture to guess he's beaten the most former UFC champions of any fighter. Um, and again, just, just how he finishes them. You know, the 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 beautiful performance he put on Shogun Hua just outclassed him from start to finish, brutalized him, finished him off with that uh, knee to the solar plexus, choking out Rampage Jackson, uh, choking out Leota Machida with a standing guillotine. That might be the coolest most badass submission of all time. Now, there might be harder ones to pull off. There might be more crazy ones, like, you know, Chan Sung Jung's Twister or, or, or Bryce Mitchell's Twister. Those might be harder, but there's nothing more... I don't think there's a submission more badass outside of maybe Demetrius Johnson's flying armbar on Ray Borg than John Jones grabbing another former champion and choking him out unconscious and letting him fall to the floor like a sack of wet potatoes. I mean, that's that's a that's a walk-off submission. You know what I mean? Like we've heard of walk-off KOs. Mark Hunt does those. Mark, walk-off KOs happen all the time. Walk-off submissions? Mm, not very common. How many how many submissions have taken place standing up? You know, most submissions take place on the ground. I mean, there there's, there's a couple of submissions that have that have taken place standing up. You know what I mean? It's not unheard of, but a standing guillotine and just leaving him to fall like a like a like a bag of garbage. I mean, that's that's a badass submission. Uh, the the submission he put on Vitor Belfort. That's a very impressive fight too, because Vitor was most likely heavily juicing at that point with the TRT era, and he ripped John Jones' arm out of the socket, and John Jones proceeded to just beat the living daylights out of him with with an arm that was pulled out of the socket and still won. Uh, the Chael Sonnen fight, where he had to finish him in the first round, I don't think he knew, but John Jones would have lost that belt if that first round didn't, uh, you know, end with a, a, a stoppage of Chael Sonnen, because he would have gone to the corner, they would have saw that his toe was broken, and they would have stopped the fight. And, and you know, by injury, Chael Sonnen would have been the light heavyweight champion of the world. So, you know, another, another, again, he must have felt that his toe was, was hurting, but I don't know if he knew that, but, you know, just, just finishing a very game fighter in Chael Sonnen, 
uh, in that fashion. Uh, you know, the, the, the crazy head kick sequence on Daniel Cormier, the, the brutal ground and pound on Alexander Gustafson, uh, you know, and again, you know, he's slowing down a, a little bit, but you know, guys, he, he's not taking a whole lot of damage, you know, he's turning into a much smarter fighter and I can't blame him. We've seen that with all, with all of the longest title defense streaks in the UFC, we have seen the fighters become more conservative and, and, and more risk averse. Look at Silva towards the end of his title run. Yeah, he was clowning Chris Weidman. You know, he had some boring fights, you know, versus like Yushin Okami. You know, GSP. Yeah, I mean, he definitely kind of slowed down a little bit. He he didn't want to get punched as much, and you can't blame him. But, you know, it just kind of burns you out a little bit. Uh, we don't know what the future holds for John Jones. Um, he might be the UFC heavyweight champion by the end of, of 2020 or the end of 2021. We don't know. But there's no fighter with a better legacy than John Jones. I, I believe there's no fighter who has uh, beat more former UFC champions. He's undefeated. And that's the thing. This is why John Jones is the greatest of all time. Now, if you think he isn't, I think you just hate him. I think the people who say John Jones isn't the greatest of all time just hate him. They're just they're just haters. I think they deep down know he's the greatest of all time, but they just hate him. They don't want to admit it. But here's the thing. There's two tests you can do that will prove that John Jones is the greatest of all time and that nobody else is above him, not even GSP. Rule number one. Is the fighter undefeated? Now, John Jones is undefeated. GSP is not undefeated. GSP has lost. Anderson Silva has lost. Cormier has lost. Fedor has lost. Miocic has lost. Everybody else has a loss on their record. And test number two, has John Jones had the hardest schedule of all time? Yes, he has. Can't even, but by any metric, John Jones has had the hardest schedule of all time. So if A and B are true, then John Jones is the greatest of all time. If John Jones, if you're telling me John Jones has had the toughest schedule of all time and he's never lost in the octagon, then he's the greatest of all time. How could you possibly make how could you possibly make any other argument for anybody over John Jones? It's impossible. John Jones has never lost and he has had the toughest schedule of all time. And there you have it, John Jones, without a shadow of a doubt, 100% the greatest MMA fighter of all time. Very quickly to go over the fighters on the Mount Rushmore, John Jones, George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva, and Daniel Cormier. Those are the uh, all-time MMA Mount Rushmore uh, fighters. Honorable mentions for Fedor, Khabib, Miocic. Obviously, there's plenty of other honorable mentions you could you could get to. I think you got to throw in Randy Couture uh, in the honorable mentions honorable mentions list. Uh, you know, but again, I mean, there's so many there's so many other uh, tremendously great fighters uh, that are that are deserving of some praise. So with that, we're gonna wrap up the show here. Uh, of course, listen, tune in tomorrow. Uh, I think we're gonna do heavyweight goats. And you know what? I, I've been thinking about it. I think we're going to do heavyweight goats and how to fix the UFC welterweight division. I think we're going to package that together for the Friday show. Uh, if you have not seen the UFC 250 preview that we did, uh, be sure to check that out. We posted that yesterday. And be sure to 
follow us on Twitter at NorthstarMIN. Of course, we have the major announcement, the Hall of Fame Class of 2020, the inaugural class, the Pioneer Era, will be announced Saturday, June 6th at 7 p.m. at NorthstarMIN. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You can follow the website at NorthStarSports.media. And once again, thanks for tuning in, everybody.